0: Book of Haggai, I know you're sick of the book of Haggai, I know, but uh, just endure with me for a little while, I'll give you a few minutes to find it. Um, this is the first Sunday of Advent, as Jake said at the beginning, and, um, this is, uh, you know, depending on the, the tradition that you grew up in, if you grew up in church at all, um, maybe you, maybe you participated in Advent, maybe that was like a regular thing, maybe it wasn't, uh, I don't remember it growing up outside of, the weeks leading up to Christmas, there was a wreath that had the different colored candles and a family would come up and read a verse and light a candle each week. That's like kind of all I remember, which doesn't mean it wasn't explained to me, it's just my retention wasn't very good. And um, the, In the last several years, really, as a church, um, we have participated in Advent in different ways, um, just trying to really get into the depths of what this is about in regard to the history of the church. Uh, the church was uh, the church year has been split into a calendar that uh, that focuses certain amounts of attention on uh, different very important elements of our faith. And so, just like any sort of calendar, uh, the church calendar is meant to track really important events. Right. So, on your calendar that you have, you you'll have appointments coming up, things that you need to be at, birthdays, anniversaries. You know, all the things that are important to us go on our calendars so that we don't forget. And the church calendar is that is kind of that same way, so that we give a certain number of weeks each year to um, like preparation for Easter, and then we celebrate Easter. And uh, there are a number of things in the church calendar, and all of them are not things that we engage in here at, at the ring. Uh, but Lent has been one that we have really tried to get into, and Advent, those are the two ones so far that we have really uh, tried to sink into in a deep way. Lent is the, the season of like preparation for the crucifixion and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, just like he, he went through the, the weeks leading up to that, preparing himself, the church prepares itself in the same kind of way, so that um, you don't just kind of show up on Easter Sunday and try to like flip this switch into the depths of what it means. We, we follow him to the cross and experience... The, uh, the full magnitude of that, so advent is not really it 's not a month long celebration of the birth of jesus advent is, is the weeks um, leading up to the birth of Jesus, representing the years and decades and generations that longed and uh, anticipated and begged for the Messiah to come there 's this big gap of, of time where the the faithful Jewish uh, remnant was really just holding on to this promise that the Messiah was going to come. And all these years where God wasn't speaking to them and He was leading them, but He wasn't engaging in them in the same way through the prophets and all these things. And they were just begging and begging and begging for the Messiah to come. And then He came. And so Easter, I mean Easter, Christmas Day, that's when we celebrate that He's here. The weeks leading up to it is when we try to identify with what it's like to have to wait, and the beauty of that is that um, not only are we identifying with those in the, those Old Testament faithful who waited for his first arrival, we are now in between his arrivals here on earth that Jesus is coming again, and so we are now in this waiting between his first advent and his second advent, so we know what it 's like to wait and to long for him to come. We know that anticipation, we know the the agony. That, that is reality on this earth, we have to sit there and watch the news happen. We have to watch uh, people be hungry and poor and people killing each other and, and, and all the ridiculousness that's there, that should trigger something in us. This reminder that we are in between his first coming and his second coming. And it's supposed to evoke in us prayers and songs and conversations and this this uh, begging and pleading to him, to hurry up and just come quickly—that's what Advent is about. And so, in the next few weeks, it'll be this mixture of celebrating that he came the first time, also celebrating the fact that he—I mean, he kept that promise. He's going to keep his other promise to come again, and also this—this this just bit of frustration, you know, the angst that comes with waiting. And so probably if you were to if you were to go into the the other building over there and start talking to some of the kids and you would say, "Do you wish it was Christmas like like tomorrow was Christmas day?" And they would probably say absolutely because waiting is the worst, you know. You just wish and you wish and you wish and you long for that and especially as it gets closer you just get all antsy and stuff and and that, you know, kids aren't any different than us, right? We all kind of wish that it was closer than it is sometimes and we wish that he would come back sooner than he is, and so that's Advent. Advent is supposed to be a mixture of celebration and like frustration. So it's not always happy. Tonight's gonna be happy, you know. We're gonna celebrate it because uh, the beginning of this season allows us to experience this whole wide variety of things. And you're probably wondering why are all these jars here? I'll talk about that in a little bit. But we're gonna we're gonna spend tonight and next week. In the book of, of Haggai, which I always pronounce it Haggai, but I think that's because I'm from Central and we kind of pronounce things weird. It's technically Haggai, uh, so hang in there with me and don't correct me in your mind every time I say it. But uh, here's this little book that's tucked away in what's known as the minor prophets of the Old Testament. They're not minor because they're unimportant. They're minor because there's just not as much content to them as, you know, say, Jeremiah or Isaiah, which are the, you know, the major prophets. So you have all these little books tucked away in the Old Testament that don't ever seem to make a whole lot of sense. And in praying and trying to seek direction for our time of Advent this year together, uh, I found myself here in this book, and I was, I was actually going after a verse that's in the second chapter, but wound up just sitting in the whole book and just really feeling like this is what God has for us. So we're going we're gonna to hang out in this book for a little bit, so if you want to read that on your own stuff, that'd be great. Um, we're going to do the whole first chapter today, so, um, but we're just going to go a little bit at a time. So look at the first verse of the first chapter. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Some really good baby names in there, for those of you who are thinking... Jehozadak, how awesome! Oh man. Okay, so that's for free. Okay, so um, so the so it starts off and it's giving us like a, a time in history to reference. But unless you have studied and stuff, or just know all this stuff, you may not really be able to place that on a calendar date. And so I've done a little. Let me tell you a little background from what I've read and stuff like that. Um, if you it's very important for us to understand this this big idea, um, to understand what's going on here. That the, the temple was the most important place in, uh, like for the life of like, the Jewish faithful. There was nothing more important to them than the temple. In the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant were the, the tablets, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. Um, and that was the law, but also God uh, was, like, manifesting himself in his presence, like, with the ark. And so, you go way back in the, in the Old Testament, and, and there was, as they carried the ark around, everywhere that the ark went, you know, they were victorious. And they were all very careful with it, and that represented, like, God's presence with them. And that was on purpose, like, he was into that. This wasn't some sort of weird idol, this was... You know, he was wanting them to have a tangible sense of his nearness and his presence with them, um, and so they carried that around, and they they had a, a tabernacle, which was like a like a portable temple, let's say. Okay, so as as they would move around, they could set it up again, and and you had the the special place where the ark was, where God's presence was the strongest, and things like that. Um, when David was established as the king, he decided that. He wanted to build, uh, not a. He didn't want God to have a temporary house. He wanted God to have a house, house, a temple. Um, and there's this really like cool dialogue back and forth, and uh, between David and God. It's, it's just really awesome. And um, God says, "Look, I've I've been I'm used to living in a ta- in a temporary. I'm, like the tabernacle's great." He says so I'm going to establish you, and then once you are established, uh, then I'm going to let your kids build the house for me. So David is established as king, he, he gets all the money together, all the supplies together to build this temple, but Solomon, his son, is the one who actually builds it. And this temple is magnificent. I mean, it is just, it is incredible. And it is, they were trying to make a building that was as close of a reflection of of who their God is as, as possible with with stones and jewels and uh, just things on this earth. And they acknowledge, they're like, look, we can't contain you. We're not trying to contain you. We, a building cannot accurately convey your worth and splendor, but we're going to try. They build this temple, and it's amazing, and it has uh, this really, really deep, rich history there. And uh, because it was, it contained so many valuables, people would they would come in. Uh, invaders would come in. And they would try and steal things out of it. Even even some of like the the Jewish. Uh, faithful, or maybe not so faithful, would break in and steal things, and there's just a, this whole history there. Um, then you have Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and uh, they come in and they conquer Jerusalem, and over time they destroy that temple, and they march a bunch of, a bunch of the Israelites up into Babylon, and they hold them there, and that's, the, that's like this thing that you hear in the Old Testament about the exile. So they marched them out of there. The temple's destroyed. It's just bad, bad stuff. Some people, they let them stay, but all the ones in Jerusalem especially, they pushed them all up into Babylon, and they were there. And you might know the, you know, the, the word of Jeremiah that says that, you know, God has plans for you to, to, for you to prosper, and not to harm you. You know, there's just that, that great, like, bedrock verse that we get on high school graduation cards and things, you know. But the context of the paragraph... Jeremiah is saying, "You're going to be here for 70 years, so you need to have kids and let all your kids like get married and like keep having kids and keep having kids. And you need to build houses and plant gardens. You need to bless this city. You need to keep the remnant intact because in 70 years, God's going to bring you back to Jerusalem, and there needs to be people left. You know, there need to be people who can come back and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Um, but you're going to be here for 70 years." So they're there, and they're there for 70 years, just like clockwork. And through other wars and stuff like that, a guy named Cyrus comes in, and he conquers Babylon, and he's, uh, um, he decides to like let everybody go home, basically. And so uh, he lets them all go back, so they set out back for Jerusalem. They're taking all the stuff for the temple with them and all these uh, sacred artifacts, and they go back to Jerusalem, and you can read Psalm 137 that 's this lament you know the whole community they 're so they 're so sad about this about um, the city being lost and the temple being torn down and the mistreatment that was there and so they 're holding on to this fact that we 're going to get to go back and so they finally they get to go back, they come into Jerusalem and they start to rebuild their lives and uh, they they build the the foundation of the temple, but then it just kind of stops and that 's kind of where we pick up in the story so they 've been the temple was destroyed. They were pushed uh, into Babylon 70 years. They finally get to come back, and their goal of rebuilding the temple is now real. They get the slab done, basically, and then it just kind of shuts down. Uh, the book of Ezra is like kind of where this is all kind of playing out. And, uh, so a lot of these overlap in there. And so that's kind of where we find things. I hope that makes sense. Um, so look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? All right, I'm going to read that again. So he's speaking to the governor of Judah and the high priest. Okay, they're speaking to the leaders. This is what he says to them. This is coming from God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, this is verse 2, these people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now skip down to verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring the wood and, bu- and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Alright, so, um, if you... If you think that God is not the kind of God who will bust some chops sometimes, then you need to read the Old Testament. He is a chop buster. And that is exactly what is happening here. Now, this is not, uh, at first, when I first read those verses, I was like, man, that's like, that's really strong against materialism, you know, and against like missing the point of Christmas and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then very quickly, the Lord was like, hold on, it's, It's not as much an indictment against them having houses that they, you know, enjoy or whatever. It's about the fact that that their priority should be to build God's house. That that was the thing that, that when they were coming back into Jerusalem, like that was what they were excited about doing. And that's what they set out to do. And then they just got distracted by other stuff. And so what is it about God's house that we need to remember? Here's, here's the, the big idea. That God's temple in the Old Testament, that's how he was tangibly with his people. He wanted his people to know that he was with them. That he was present. A place where they could go and offer sacrifices and pray and worship and know that he is there with them. They could doubt it other times and other places, but you can't doubt it when you're there. Their faith was not very strong. They needed something tangible. This was something tangible, and he wanted to be with them, and he was always with them, but maybe they didn't know it, so he gave them a place. Because presence is very important to our God, that he is with his people. And so they come back, set out to build the temple, and yet they got distracted, and What that means is that here they are planning their houses and putting paneling on them, which was, was this extra adornment, you know. Things that were unnecessary. They were seeking their own comfort and their own stuff. And they were doing it all without this, like, dependence and this relationship with their God who wanted to be with them. And so they were missing it. They lost sight of the most crucial thing in life. They were trying to make their lives look a certain way and just kind of missed it. And what's really sad is that they apparently didn't even realize it. I know I'm going to hop around a little bit, but trust me, this, it's all intact. Look at verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now, at first, it sounds like they are just um, like really just like greedy and like nothing ever satisfies them and that kind of stuff. But what he's really saying is like, no, you're, have you not noticed the fact that you're planting all this stuff and yet it's not raining? It's not raining enough to grow your crops, and so you're doing all this work, but it's producing very little. Have you not noticed? But they hadn't noticed. They just kind of put their heads down and were like just pushing their way through. It says, you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. saying, yeah, you know, your your crops are producing food, but not, not much. Have you not noticed? Have you not noticed that? You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's like, have you not noticed that your lives are filled with all this effort and yet very little productivity? Have you not noticed that it's not been raining? That I've not been blessing the land? This is a great parent moment. It it sounds at first like karma, right? Say, well, you're not being faithful, so I'm going to, you know, you get what you deserve. That's not what's going on here. This is a parenting moment. Parents say, do you ever withhold things from your kids to get their attention? Sure you do. You know, you know when they're not paying attention. You know what's going to get their attention. And then sometimes you do that. You ever get to that point where you're, what used to work doesn't work anymore? You're like, oh, no, what do we do? God's at that point, not that he doesn't know what to do, but he's at that point where he's saying, look at the pattern. Look what's going on around you. Have you not noticed it hasn't rained? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins... While well, each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And they're probably going like wait, what? Oh yeah, I guess it hasn't rained very much, has it? And who do they ask for rain? God. God has this very special relationship with Israel. And it's one where he is constantly like blessing them when they're obedient. And when they're not obedient, he's withholding things because he wants them to pay attention to his love and to his goodness and his care for them. But the most important thing to God is the relationship with his people. And so here, here he is withholding the dew, withholding the things that make the crops grow and all the things that flourish them. And they are clueless. They just keep working hard, working hard, working hard. And so God sent them a messenger. He sent them this messenger, Haggai, to go to the leaders and say, God wants you to know what's going on here. He wants you to see that we're missing the point, that he wants to be with us, and yet we're focused on our houses we're focused on all the wrong things. We're missing out on the blessing of the presence of our God. So let's look around and let's see. Let's look at look at the lack of rain and look at what he's withholding. He wants us to pay attention. Let's pay attention, please. Let's pay attention. And this is how he words it. Look in verse five. It says, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's the, that's what he's telling them. He said God wants us to build his house and we're not. He wants us to consider our ways. Consider that we're trying to do life apart from the presence of our God. And look at the futility it has, it has formed within us. Look at what we are missing out on. Not just the crops. and Not those kinds of things. We're missing out on him. Because we're so focused on our own comforts and all, the, all these things. That we're missing out on him. He says it again in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, then verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. He's talking about the temple. Build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. This is not God being self-centered. God didn't have his feelings hurt. He wants the house to be built because when he is glorified by his people, the people are functioning in the way that he made them to function. He says, You weren't built to do life without me. You were created to do life with me, and yet you're trying to do it without me. All this comes down to presence. So, what does this have to do with, with Advent at this point? Advent is a time of us longing and expecting and um, anticipating the, the second arrival of Jesus, celebrating the first arrival anticipating the second arrival. Here we are, stuck in the middle of those two amazing things and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. His first coming and His second coming, all of it is about something very important. It's about His presence with His people. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, He was present. In the temple, He was present. And He's wanting them to rebuild it so He could be present. In Jesus, He was present. Jesus Goes to heaven, sends the Spirit. He's present. He's coming back to get us and be present. He's going to take us new heaven and new earth, rebuild all this kind of stuff, and be present with us forever. It's presence, presence, presence. That is what Advent is about. We're celebrating the fact that we are not separated from God. And we don't have a geographic like, building we have to go to anymore to be able to know that he is with us and near. Sometimes I wish that we did, honestly. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around this, like, omnipresent God, you know. Sometimes I wish we had a building. And maybe we do, maybe we do have some very special spaces, like GPS points on the planet where they're just special to you. Maybe this room is, a, is one of those places where it's not that he's more present here, but maybe you're more present here, you know. In, in January, we're doing a reunion um, from every, we're trying to get everyone who's ever come through the ring to go over to Parkview. We're going to have like a weekend of things. And for some people, that gym is a GPS point on the planet where you, just, you dial into God's presence differently. Or maybe that sanctuary. Maybe it's somewhere that you grew up, wherever it is. Presence. God wants to be with us because He's, he's relational and He's with us and we're with Him. And so all of this in the history of Israel... It's about God being with his people and the people being with their God and that being something that's cognitive. It's You're aware of it. You know it. It's intentional. You're embracing it. That here we are between the two advents and we're longing we're waiting. We're praying and we want him to come back. We're so glad he came in the first place and he's not abandoned us and we're hanging in there for him to fulfill these promises that he is present with us and will always be present with us. So we also have to consider our ways, just like Haggai was telling them. We have to consider our ways that during this season of Advent, do we really want to engage Jesus in a way that is like consistent with what the, the history of the church has done? Do you want to just grind through the next couple of weeks and just try to make it you know, as crazy as it's going to be? In some ways it was hard to grind through this last week. Between the like the bombings in Paris and like all the stuff with ISIS and all the violence in America and the shooting at Planned Parenthood and then like Les Miles, what's gonna happen with him? And there's just like so it's just so exhausting. And ain't letting up. We're in it. So we can be like the Israelites were, we can bury our heads and just try to make it through. Try to be comfortable, try to be happy, try to be whatever. We can live in the kingdom of the world in that way. Or we can listen to the scriptures. We can listen to the Spirit say, hey, consider your ways. Not, not after Christmas and, and, and look back and at Advent and be like, man, we missed the boat, didn't we? No, consider your ways now. What do you want this season to be about? What do you want the next few weeks to entail for you? Let me give you three, three ideas that, maybe, that are maybe worth writing down, maybe worth circling around in the next couple of weeks, all because of God's presence among us. It's not a time for whatever you want to make it out to be. Think of these three things. Think of Jesus in you, Jesus in us, and Jesus in them. Jesus in you, Jesus in us, Jesus in them. The first one, Jesus in you, would be like perhaps... Advent for you can be this, this sinking into Jesus' constant presence with you. In the Old Testament, they had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to go to the temple, and they had to find an animal to sacrifice, and to do all these things. And I don't mean to belittle those, because they were, incre- they were gifts of grace from God. But how about the fact that you can be sitting in traffic, and Jesus is 100% present with you. That his presence in this room is the same as his presence in heaven. There's no, we're not running at like 73% capacity here. This is 100% all the time. That the incarnation of Christ, of him coming to earth, the word becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, God with you. That Maybe in the next few weeks, there can just be ways that you intentionally, um, ask him to help you become aware of the fact that he is with you what a gift that is Jesus and you the second one Jesus and us is is to maybe maybe think that next level like kind of not level but the next rung of people right outside of your life maybe it's your spouse maybe it's your kids maybe it's your community group maybe it's your close group of friends maybe it's this church The fact that, that, you know, sometimes it it seems like our faith is very individualized, you know. It's a lot of Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, and he does. He also loves us. That, That it's a shared faith. It's individual, but it's shared also. That the people around you, he's with us as well. He's with them as well. That you desire for them to know that. Maybe they know it, maybe they don't know it. So Jesus and you, in a very, like, in a very um, like vertical sense, but Jesus and us, that when we come together, this is, a, this is a unique gathering. The Advent is not a time to not go to church because it's crazy. It's a time to go to church because Jesus with us, being in a room full of people, it can increase your faith. It can increase your trust. It can be an encouragement to you. It can be, it's just this really special place. So don't skip church during Advent. I know life's busy. Say no to other stuff. We only have two more community groups. Go to them. Jesus and us together. That maybe this season is about you being more aware of his like, presence with you and, our, and his presence with us together. That Christ in you, the hope of glory, means that you are walking around and you are a part of his incarnational ministry. Like he's in you. So the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, okay, so he walked the earth. When the spirit came, Christ in you, the hope of glory, becomes real. And so that's you by yourself, that's you with us. And the third thing was Jesus and them. I don't mean them in a bad way, I mean them and and whoever them is to you. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week but the the people who don't know they just don't know him. That could be people you work with, people it could be people that you live with, it could be people in your family, it could be neighbors, it could be strangers, it could be people across the world. It could be the nations That's not just Jesus in you and Jesus with us, it's Jesus in them. I mean, it's a global thing that Jesus came for the nations, not just our nation and not just you, not just me. That when when we bury our heads and it just becomes too much about us, 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 we're just like the Israelites here. Trying to put the stucco paneling on their houses to make them look pretty while the temple lays in ruins. And God's saying, hold on, hold on. So you being incarnationally present with other people, maybe that's a part of Advent for us as well. That we realize Christ in me means I'm taking in the incarnate word, in a sense, into Walmart and into the places that we work and into uh, all the places that we go and school and all those kinds of things. Jesus in you, Jesus in us, and Jesus in them, whoever them might be for you. It's weird to think sometimes that Jesus is is incarnationally present with people whenever you are sitting there with them. We may not naturally think of ourselves that way. Like, well, I'm about to go represent Jesus in this room. But you do. It's amazing. So perhaps it's, it's important for us to, to join Jesus in incarnational ministry. In the word becoming flesh, us, right? And dwelling among people. Maybe that's a way to celebrate Advent that is really, really tangible. If you want to do that with with people, you know, like if you really want to dial into God with us, if you want to not be like these Israelites who are distracted by comfortable living, and you want to build the temple, you want to prepare room in your life for Jesus, which is what we're doing, then you're probably going to have to take some steps. I'd love to just say, so let's go do that. We're like, yeah, let's go do that. But you're probably going to have to take some steps. And so maybe, here's a few ideas, maybe stay off your phone a little bit. You know, Maybe if you really want to be with people and be present with people, maybe turn your phone off. Maybe spend some time as a family not engaged in like TV and all that kind of stuff. Maybe have some intentional time. Maybe as groups of friends, Maybe we can sit around and like converse, you know. maybe, maybe, maybe we could try that, you know. And maybe staying off their phone, maybe, maybe intentionally being an active listener, that maybe when you're going through and you're checking out at some store somewhere and the person's like just scanning your stuff, you know, maybe ask them how they're doing. It's a crazy idea, it's just a thought. Ask them how they're doing and, and then listen to what they say. Because sometimes you know what they'll be like. I'm doing terribly, <laughs> and then what? Then what do I say? Well, say whatever. What, say first thing comes to your mind. Say me too. If that's first thing comes to your mind. Say I'm sorry to hear that. If that's first thing comes to your mind. Don't just say nothing. That's terrible. <laughs> that's bad. Be an active listener because you're being incarnationally present with that person that's that's checking out your groceries at the store. You're being present with your coworkers. You're being present with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends. When you're not just sitting there playing on your phone, halfway listening to things. That's not how God does with us. God is not halfway incarnationally present. He was all in. Jesus became a human. Like he was, he was a baby. He didn't just be like, "How about I just kind of like quantum leap into Earth, you know, just get it done and get out of here." He's like, "No, I'm going to be born." I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a nine-year-old. I'm going to learn. I'm going to have people talk to me like I didn't create all this stuff. And I'm going to have to figure out what to do with it. So I'm going to live. I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to be hurt by people. I'm going to experience all these kinds of things. And then I'm going to die for them. And then the Father's going to raise me from the dead. And I'm going to go and just intercede because I'm the only one who knows how to do this. Jesus was all in. Maybe we can be all in relationally. Just be present with people. That's going to require some steps. It's going to require some very, very um, important things like dialogue and listening. These jars right here, I'm going to explain them when we're done here in a few minutes. But these jars, these are. this is a way that maybe you can be present with the people that you live with. And you can be present with your Savior. And you can be present with other people. And these jars, it's just a, just a tool to maybe help us engage and be more present with people. And let the Word, who's become flesh, dwell among us and let each other know it and be reminded of it. We have uh, the Maison d'Ami Christmas party. That's incarnational ministry. Breakfast at the park. Incarnational ministry. We take up an offering during Advent every year where we ask people to set aside money in your Christmas budget to put in this offering. That's going in an account that one day is going to take Hope of Life, our children's home in Calcutta, and put them in a new place where more kids can be taken care of. You may not be able to go to Calcutta, but you can put money in this offering. You can be present in that ministry. There are people serving all around the globe, and some of them uh, we know by name who are doing things, and maybe you can't go, but they're there, and it takes money to get there. So we have this offering, and that is a way of being incarnationally present. All of these things that are there, I guess I would just really plea with us all to consider our ways now. To be determined about what this is going to look like for you, and for us, and for them. That we would not be like the Israelites, who were so focused on the wrong stuff that they were missing the blessing of God's full presence with them all the time, and that maybe this Advent could be about more than just the grind. You know, we're gonna have to go through it. All right, that's fine. And this is not about like don't buy, don't buy presents for people and don't enjoy Christmas season. I'm not saying any of that kind of stuff. Do that stuff. Don't miss out on the big thing though. Let's not miss out on God's presence among us. Look at, look at the last couple of verses. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of she, uh, Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. You know, they just—they were like, "Oh, okay." They considered their ways, and there was a couple of weeks between the word that came from Haggai and when they're like, "All right, let's get to work." We ain't got a couple of weeks. We don't have a couple of weeks. But when they obeyed and they listened, the leaders were like, "Hey, we gotta do this." And people are like, "Yeah, we gotta do this." What what is the word of God to them? He says, "I am with you. I'm with you. Let's get it done." And so we're going to begin Advent, Just we're going to sing some like happy songs, we're going to celebrate the fact that He's come for us, believing that He's coming again, His presence among us, and we're going to enjoy this, we're going to consider our ways, and we're going to be present with each other, and with anyone that He brings to us, and we're going to get every drop out of Advent that He has for us. Cool? Alright, let's stand up. Let me pray.